Masechet Gitin, Daf Chaf. Today is all about the writing of the Get and some fascinating and even theoretical discussions about foreground and background, as we'll see. Amar Rav Chista, Get Sheketavo Shelo Lishma Ve'evir Alav Kolmus Lishma Banu Lamachloket Rabbi Yehuda Ve'Rabanan. We saw in the previous Daf that if someone uh, for a Get you can kind of stencil in or write with uh, light ink or water and then write over it uh, with a permanent ink, and that would be uh, considered a good signature for a get, but not for other documents. And so now we're asking a slightly different question. Uh, if you wrote the get, not for the sake of this particular woman. So now this uh, get is no good. However, then the scribe uh, goes over the very same letters with another read, um, and so traces over the letters. So it's not really new writing in the sense that if it was Shabbat, it would be patur because you're just writing over something there. It would not be good for a signature because you have to sign your name and this is just writing on top of something that's already written. But perhaps for the purpose of lishma, um, uh, which it's I know it's already written, but now I'm just adding ink to it and now I'm going to have in mind that I'm writing it for this particular couple. Um, so would that be good or not? Well, that will depend on the machloket between the Biuda and Rabbanan in the different context of the writing of Hashem's name in a Sefer Torah. According to the Biuda, if someone had to write Hashem's name, he's writing a Sefer Torah and he gets to a place where it's supposed to be Yod Ke Vav Ke. However, he made, um, he actually made the double mistake. His first mistake is that he thought the next word he's supposed to write is Yehuda. I don't know, he looked back at his copy that he's copying from, he saw he Yehuda by mistake. And so he's about to write, he's, he's starting to write Yehuda, he writes Yod, and then He, and then Vav, and then he makes a second mistake, and he misses the Dalid. Instead, instead puts a hair. So in the end, he has all the letters of the Tetragrammaton. Um, however, he didn't write it with intention to write Hashem's holy name. The practice of Sofrim is that every time, right before they write Hashem's name, they actually say, L'Shem Kedushat Hashem. And so here, he didn't even say it, he didn't even think it. Um, he thought he was just writing a common name, Yehuda. Uh, so this is a problem, and uh, the Baraita teaches that uh, he can um, just write on top of it. He doesn't have to erase, erase it and then write it over again. Rather, he can uh, trace over the letters with uh, another layer of black ink and uh, that would be permitted according to the Be'udah. Hachamim say that this is not an optimal, optimal way to write Hashem's name. So we see that this machloket parallels the uh, the topic that we just discussed. And presumably, the Be'udah, who says you can trace over the letters of Hashem's name, and this time have in mind, L'Shem Kedushat Hashem, he would also say that uh, with a get that was not written lishma, you can trace over the letters and then the get will be written lishma. Whereas Rabbanan, who say that this is not a proper way to write Hashem's name, uh, he would also say that this is not a valid get. You'd have to rewrite the entire thing from scratch. Yaakov says not necessarily. Um, it could be that Rabbanan, regarding Hashem's name, they 
there, they're going to be more stringent because we need to fulfill the pasuk that says, this is my God and I will glorify him. So you have to glorify Hashem by writing his name in the optimal, optimal way. Not by writing it like as if you're writing Yehuda and then just trace over it. That's not a, that's not the best way. We have to do the best when it comes to glorifying God. And that's why he said it's no good here. But even Rabbanan may very well agree regarding get where you don't need to have the optimal way. Uh, as long as you traced over it, then that would be fine. Next topic. Rav Chista said a very bold statement, and he said, I, I can find a way to invalidate every get that was ever written in the world. Um, now, let's see why. So Rav is trying to figure out what is Rav Chista's reasoning. Maybe it's because generally, who pays for the right, who pays the software to write the get? Usually it's the wife. Uh, she wants, uh, she wants to make sure she gets her get and the guy doesn't just, uh, disappear. And so she goes and she hires the, the, the software. Because of that, she actually owns the get document. And then, and then when the husband just takes it and gives it to her, he's giving her something that she already owns. And that's a problem because, um, says, he has to give her something. And since that's generally what is done, Rav Chista said, oh, all Gitin, at least uh, most Gitin, that she writes, uh, that she has commissioned will be a problem. Well, that's not a problem because but we don't have to worry about that, Rav Chista, because we can say that the Chachamim will transfer the ownership uh, from, her, from her to him. I mean, it would be optimal if she actually gave it to him and said, listen, this is I, I had this commission, I paid for it, but now I'm giving it to you, so it's yours, and that way you can give it to me. But even if they don't do that, the Chachamim have power, hefket, hefket, betin, hefket, and so they can uh, deem any uh, any any possession that's yours to be someone else. So the rabbis will say, okay, even though she wrote it, we're considering it to be his. And so when he gives it to her, yes, we have fulfilled v'natan. Or maybe there's a different reason why Rav Chista said that he can invalidate all divorces from the fact that most divorce documents are written on something that's worthless, right? A piece of paper, a broken piece of pottery, uh, just, you know, a, a shard of something. And so therefore, if, but the Pasuk says, Venatan, the man has to give her something. And usually Venatan means that he's going to give her something of monetary value, but most gitin are written on a leaf or something that has no monetary value, and therefore he's not giving her anything. And maybe that's what Avchista had in mind to say that almost all gitin are going to be invalid, right? A husband who's divorcing his wife is not going to go out of his way to get some kind of fancy uh, material to write on. Um, but we reject that as well, not a problem, because Dilma Netinat Geti, maybe when the Torah says, Benatan, that he has to give the get, it doesn't mean he has to give something of monetary value, he has to simply give the get, and even if it's worth almost nothing, and it is worth worth almost nothing, because you know, generally a manuscript, a manuscript of the uh, Torah, uh, is going to be worth a lot. Because if I don't use it, you'll use it. But the get is written for this person and that person it is only a one-time use, so no one else, you know, it's, it's really worth only the material it's it's, it's written on. And um, if that's uh, worth very little, then. 
um, then uh, then there's no monetary value. Uh, but the Torah doesn't doesn't necessarily require there to be a monetary value. He just says you have to give her these these words written on something. And in fact, this seems to be true. Because the the rabbis from Eretz Yisrael sent a halacha uh, that taught if one writes a get on something that's for, forbidden to have benefit from, <clears throat> it's still okay. Uh, you write it on a piece of hametz um, uh, during uh, uh, during Pesach. It has to be something permanent. Okay, so whatever it is, something that would be avodazara, right? And you you write it on on that, and he gives it to her. Now you're not allowed to derive any any benefit from the value of it. Um, but the rabbi said it's okay because the item does not have to be of any value at all. So this is a proof that you don't need value and you're not benefiting from the value of some, you know, avodazara uh, uh, plaque that I am. Uh, I wrote the get on the back of the plaque and and gave it to her. That's okay. I'm not because I'm not benefiting from the monetary value of the plaque, and therefore, even though I'm prohibited to um, get any benefit from the monetary value, I'm not getting monetary benefit, monetary value. And this is a proof that even if it's worth zero, it's still a good get. Let's go into this further. Rav said, Oh, they sent us this halacha from Eretz Yisrael, and in fact, I know a beraita that supports it. Um, it's actually a mishnah, our mishnah, that says you can write the get on a leaf, and a leaf has zero monetary value. And so that proves the same point that just like you can use um, something that's prohibited in Hana'ah because I'm only giving, I'm, not, I'm just giving the letters, right? The, the writing, not the item. I'm not getting any benefit from the value of the item. Um, and that, that's the same lesson uh, that they taught in Israel and the same lesson we can learn from this leaf. But then we say, not necessarily. Uh, when it comes to a leaf, even though one leaf has no monetary value, if you take a lot of leaves together, then it would have monetary value. You can, you want to buy leaves to put out on, uh, for, to, uh, uh, put out on your soil. Or to make um, to make uh, grape leaves or something. Um, so many leaves will be worth something, and so it adds up. Uh, whereas if something is prohibited in Hana'a, no matter how much you have, it's still prohibited in Hana'a. So it's not necessarily the same lesson. It could be that leaves are only good because they do have a minimal amount of value that is incremental if you add it all together. And so we still need that law from Eretz Yisrael that even if it has zero value that's usable, it's still a kosher get. Tanya. Amazing story that Rabbi, that's Rabbi Udanasi, says uh, this b'raita, that if you write it on Isur Hana'ah, it's kosher. Um, this is another b'raita that is the same wording as the law that we just uh, got from Eretz Yisrael, Shalchum Hitam. So, Isur Hana'ah, Kasher, but this time it's in the name of Rabbi. Now, Levi went and he 
taught this derasha. He derasha doesn't mean he gave a sermon. It means he taught this halacha in public in a public setting. When you teach something in a public setting, then that means that it's being offered as halacha lemaaseh. So at first he taught it in the name of the biudanasi, but the crowd, the other his colleagues, the other sages did not praise him. They didn't necessarily agree. Um, but then he's taught the very same thing in the name of the majority. In other words, as the agreed upon halacha. Ah, and then they praised it. So it's very interesting that sometimes he taught it as a minority opinion, and sometimes then later he taught it as a majority opinion. Um, it's also interesting that the audience feedback was a was significant in uh, in him changing his mind. Um, so he was teaching them, but he also learned from them. And the reason why they did not accept it, they did not praise it when he said it in the, in the, in the as a minority opinions, is because he wasn't saying it as the absolute as the agreed upon halacha. And says. Well, oh, well, only to be Udanasi, but then that was he was quoting this paraita. But when he caught it, taught it as a majority opinion, everybody said, Oh, yes, we agree. And so, therefore, we can conclude that that is, in fact, the halacha. One can write a get on something that you cannot derive benefit from. Okay, so now Torah says you have to write it. The usual way of writing is writing with ink on something that will hold the ink. But what if you want to chisel it, you know, like the, uh, like the luchot? So it says write and not chisel. So that's no good. Hold on. So you're telling me that chiseling is not a form of writing? We have a Braita that teaches that a slave who has a writ of emancipation um, that is written on a, a slate or a tablet. Uh, so a slate would be something like this. Um, a, a tablet, pinkas, uh, which is a modern Hebrew word also for a notebook, actually comes from the Greek, uh, pinex, which is a, a writing tablet that was used uh, for students and schools. Um, and so if you have something like this, this might be a wax tablet. And so you take a stylus and inscribe into the wax. Um, uh, so if you write on, and this is like chiseling, so if you would chisel it into a um, into a stone slate, um, then that would be a proper writ of emancipation. However, if he writes it on a cap or embroiderment, in other words, if you sew the letters in onto a cloth, that is not a form of writing, which is interesting. Okay, um, uh, so anyway, we do see that uh, when it comes to freeing a slave, chiseling is a form of writing. Why'd you tell me for a get that's not a form of writing? Amar Ula, Amar Rabbi El Azar so Awula explains, we're talking about two different types of chiseling. If you, if you chisel around the letters, the surrounding areas, so that the letters will protrude, and you chiseled away at the background, that is not called writing, because you didn't touch the letter itself, you only chiseled around around it. This would be similar to, imagine if you had a white sheet of paper, and instead of writing the black uh, letters, you just colored in all around and leaving the white space 
uh, to be a letter. Presumably that also would not be writing because you didn't actually write the letter. You just uh, covered over all of the background uh, so that the uh, looks like a letter, right? So that would be the same idea here. You didn't chisel it. Where, uh, so that's what we're talking about when we said it's not good regarding a get. But when we said it is proper writing, uh, which in the context of the Eved, that's when you're actually chiseling the letter itself, right? And that would be considered writing uh, for a get as well. Um, so you have to, you know, the point is that you have to be dealing with the substance of the, where the letter is and not just the background um, surrounding it. Okay, good. Now, wait a, wait a second. So now if you, uh, um, uh, if you chisel the surrounding area, is that in fact not writing? Regarding the Kohen Gadol's seats that was written on it, Kodesh uh, Lahashem, that was uh, not uh, embedded inside, but rather protruded like a gold dinar right like a coin you look on the coin and you touch it it's sticking out right the the the, the picture on it or the numbers on it are protruding from it and um, this but this badaita says that the Kohen Gadol seats is also written in that way protruding um, right go look at a gold coin you'll see that it's uh, the 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 area around the letter is uh, is pushed down and uh, and it and the letters are sticking out so and this is written right you have to write that that on on the uh, on the seats so that does seem like it's a form of writing and so we answer wait the language here is not so precise the seats is in some ways similar to a gold dinar but not fully similar to a gold dinar it is similar in the sense that the letters are protruding but it's not the same because regarding the coins the area around the the letters was pushed away I mean they're, they're stamped um, but stamped from the front such that the area around the letters are pushed down um, and leaving the leaving the letters protruding but the letters aren't touched whereas with the seats which is a thin plate of metal um, it's actually from the back um, they are pushed the, the letters are pushed out from the back of the seats and so it is act though the the letters themselves are actually worked on um, even though it's from the back and you're pushing backwards um, so that then when you turn it back around you see the front it's pushed out so in both cases that protrudes that's the similarity but the mechanism that you do it is different instead of pushing down the background like in a coin you push up the foreground uh, from the back when it comes to the seats and that's okay this form the form that you use to make a coin right that um you you make a, a, a take a piece of metal and you push down on it hard and uh, the form of the uh, coin is uh, is there how does it work uh, does it carve out the background or does it compress the middle? That is, is it more similar to chiseling around and just getting rid of that the, the space around the letters? Or is it actually compressing and pushing that the uh, the the metal into the empty space and therefore 
pushing up the letters that you see, right? How does it work? And he answered, uh, It actually is carving around, it's just pushing down the, uh, the, the, the background, and it's not making the letters protrude. And uh, that's the case of a coin. So that type of writing, if you would, a uh, stamp, um, uh, something that needs to be written that would not be called writing, um, as we said. Ravina objects to Rav Asher with the same statement that we just saw, and the same well, same discussion will ensue. It's a repetition here um, that the seats of the Kohen Gadol was not Im- embedded, not uh, not written in- into it, but rather the letters were sticking out like. Uh, golden coins, and if you, you what you just said here is that golden coins are carved from uh, from outside by chiseling all around, uh, then we need michtav, right? It has to be written. The seats has to be written. Michtav, the pasuk says, and it won't be written because you're not writing the words themselves, kodesh Lashem, but you're only removing the uh, metal that's around it. And we answer, In fact, it is like uh, golden coins in one sense, but not like coins in a different sense. It is like coins in that the letters are protruding, but it's not like coins because regarding coins, we take off the uh, metal from all around it and just leaving the um, the letters there, whereas for the seats, because it's a thin piece of metal, it's actually pushed, uh, the letters are pushed out from the opposite side. And that way, the letters themselves are being written. They are being worked on and not simply um, from the background. Good. Now that you mentioned this thin sheet of the seats, what about a get that you also write on a thin sheet, and I guess this would be um, that you uh, made the letters protrude from the outside, or you could uh, go inside, um, you could uh, uh, carve it in, push in the letters, that would also be fine, like the copper scroll, uh, one of the Dead Sea Scrolls is written just like that. Um, and so if someone did this on a gold a piece of, uh, a thin sheet of gold, um, this would be a very expensive thing, but perhaps a husband would do this. And what if he says, listen, here's your get. I, I uh, inscribed it on this golden plate. And I want you to keep the golden plate as the payment of your ketubah, right? So the value of it will be the payment of the ketubah. says, it's good, it's kosher. She receives her get because she was receiving this document with the letters properly, pro- properly inscribed on it. And she's receiving something of monetary value. Um, and that could pay for the ketubah. Very good. However, Rabbi has an objection. The Braita says that if someone, if the husband gives her some uh, a get and says, here is your get, and the remainder of the paper, in other words, the margins, uh, this is parchment, and it's, so that's worth money. And it says the rest of it will be for your ketubah. It's good. She receives her get and the rest of it, the margins, will be go towards her ketubah. How much is that worth? Uh, whatever it's worth.
We can infer from this Braita that the only reason why you can use this as payment for the Kitubah is because it has a margin, it has a remainder. That's what can be used. But if there was no margins and no remainder, um, then it would not be able to be used. Um, and this is different from the gold, where in the gold, the case of gold, it didn't say that you should, the, 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 the remainder out around it, it sounds like the gold plate itself, where the letters are etched into, will be the payment. So that's the question. All right, for sure, the extra margins are, are, are that around, because you could cut them off, and so they're extraneous to the get, so that the monetary value is worth something. But the place where the writing is itself, well, that's actually necessary for the get, right? So can you separate the writing from the writing material? Um, it seems from here that you cannot. And the answer is, No, in fact, there's no contradiction. And truth is, even if there was no margin, it would be permitted to give uh, to give the woman a, a parchment of, of value and say, even if there's no margin, uh, that, that this will be the uh, go towards the get. So what does the Braita teach us? Uh, well, the one that says uh, that it has has margins why bother mentioning that it has mar that it has margins and the answer is to teach us that if you say if the husband says I want the margins to go towards your kituba then they go towards the kituba but if he doesn't say anything then we see the margins as simply part of the document not as something extraneous so margins can go this way and that way um, if you just if the husband just gives her uh, a document a piece of parchment with even if it has wide margins and the writing in the middle and he gives it to her we assume this is just all one document right and the margins are part of the document however if you specify and say listen I want the get to be only the inside part and I want the margins to be extra right and uh, I want the monetary value of the margins to go towards the ketubah then the margins go um, regarding the writing the place where the writing is itself then that can be yes in fact that can be counted um, and that's why uh, we uh, we can um, uh, answer the challenge yes when he if he takes a golden plate and he says here it is uh, the writing and the plate itself where the writing is that counts yes uh, now what's the reason that if you don't say anything that you cannot you assume that the margin will be go towards the monetary value of the kituvah because otherwise we'd say oh it's just the it's just the avidas the air around it it's part of the scroll it's just the margin of the scroll we would treat it as a margin not as something um, that is uh, valuable in and of itself unless you say so says, if a person, uh, a husband says, here's your get, the, but, uh, uh, the paper is mine. Okay. So in other words, the writing is yours, but the paper is mine. Well, it doesn't work because you need the paper for the get, right? That is, that is the, the get is the paper that it's written on. So that's no good. However, if he says, here is your get on condition that you return the paper to me, that's fine because at the time that he's giving it, it is fully hers. It's just on condition that she has to give it back to him. All right, and then that'll be okay. 
Uh, that's like a lulav on the first day has to be owned by the one who's shaking it. So if I have a lulav, I can gift it to you on condition that you give it back so that you can't run away with it. Um, and that way, during that time that I gifted it to you, it's yours, you can use it. And then when uh, you give it back, you fulfilled the condition and now it's back to me. So that's fine. Bayada papa, ben shita de shita, ben teba de teba, my has an interesting dilemma. Um, if the husband uh, says, here is your get, but I want the paper that's between the lines and between the words to be mine, what about that? Is it good? Right? So therefore, in other words, the paper behind the ink, that goes to you. You get all the paper that's actually behind the ink or the, you know, the, the word itself, but all the spaces in between the lines and in between the words, that paper I'm keeping. So is that, does that work? Um, uh, to ask the question the same way, can you have foreground without background, right? If you didn't have, if you had just the writing, just the letters, the black, but without any white space in between, well, you wouldn't be able to distinguish between one letter and the next one word and the next. Um, and so you kind of need the white space for the black space, right? The, the foreground only makes sense with the background. Um, this is uh, an artistic trick. Like, like this famous one, what's the foreground and what's the background? If you say that the white is the background, then you see a vase. But if you say the black is the background, then you see two faces. Um, uh, the famous artist M.C. Escher plays with this idea. On the bottom you have uh, fish in the foreground and the black background. But as you transition up um, on, the, on the top, it's the white that's the background. And those figures are actually the, the birds are in the foreground or even better examples here right was this a picture of white horses on a dark background or of black horses on a light background and so you can um, uh, focus on one or the other right so this shows the this uh, dualism the, the reversal and actually one is dependent on there is no foreground without background and no background without foreground and so Papa's question is really an interesting question and so uh, it's quite a paradox, and so we have no answer. And then we ask, We can find an answer. The, the get has to be written on one document. You can't have page one, page two, page three, because it says sefer kiritut, not sifre kiritut. Um, and now, if you say that I'm keeping all of the space, all the white space in between the, the words. So then I'm actually kind of giving you each word separately, right? As if, imagine giving you, you know, a little piece of paper with each letter or each word. Well, that's many documents and you're not allowed to have many documents, it has to all be connected. So we can answer that it would not be, not be good, which makes sense. And we answer, No, we're talking about a case in this question that they're all intertwined, that somehow you wrote in like in a, in a cursive script uh, that all the letters are connected and the letter and the words are connected and you elongate the, the, the lames and the chafsofis down so that they connect one road to another and a Sefer Torah you would not be allowed to write that way in Sefer Torah every single letter has to have white space around it uh, but forget Tosafot points out that there's no halakha like that and so you could write in such a way that you can actually cut out all of the black ink and you still have kind of hanging 
there with no uh, with nothing in between, no white in between, and still have a single document. So it would have to be a case where it is a single writing that you never pick up your pen and you could imagine writing the whole thing and so therefore you could theoretically take away the white would you still call that uh writing if it has no white background all right is famous for asking theoretical um, and sometimes strange riddles. He asks here if there is a slave and there's a chazaka presumption that the slave belongs to the husband, right? Everybody's seen him around and everybody knows this is the slave of this man. And he writes the get on the hand of the slave. As remember, the Mishnah said that that's okay. And uh, and now she shows up sometime later with the slave and his hand and says, look, here's my get. So is that, do we believe her? Do we say that, well, we, it must be that it was his slave, he wrote the get, and he transferred it to her and said, here is the, here, and you get the slave also. See, if it was a piece of paper, then certainly we would assume that, or, or anything, if it was a golden plate, right, whatever it was, and if we knew that it was his, but now she has it, because when it comes to a, a, a uh, an item that is not alive, then whoever is holding it, we assume is the owner, um, because things don't just walk away by themselves. But this is an item that can be owned, that does walk by itself, so do we worry, maybe the slave on his own, he, he, he belonged to, he uh, is owned by the husband, but maybe he decided, you know what, I don't like him so much, I'm going to go and, uh, and uh, be and uh, work for the, the wife. And, but he never formally transferred the slave over to him, so he never gave the get. In other words, she is coming with the, you know, holding the hand of the slave, but it doesn't mean that he ever gave her the get because this get can, this get has legs. So what do we do? Rava says, wait a second, this whole get is not as a problem. It's written on human skin and he, he can just wash his hands and get it off. So this is a get that can be forged anytime you have writing. Remember like we had yesterday, if you write with gall water on top of parchments that's treated, that's treated with gall water, then it's erasable um, and it's no good. So this is uh, ink that is erasable. So it shouldn't be good at all. So wait a second. We're going to have a bigger problem with you because the Mishnah itself said that you can write it on a, uh, a hand of a slave. So how are you going to explain the Mishnah? Rava says, I can explain the Mishnah because I can follow to be Elazar who said that the get is effectuated by the witnesses who see it being delivered. And therefore, even if it's written uh, in a temporary way with temporary ink, but as long as the ink is there, at the time that the husband gives it to the woman in front of two witnesses, the witnesses will be forever and they can testify far into the future. And then if the writing goes away after that, according to the Be'elazad, it's okay. That's how Ravah explains our Mishnah. But the question of Rami Barchama assumes that there were no Edeh Mesira, because if there were Edeh Mesira, then we would ask them, did you see the husband give the slave to the to the wife? And they would say, yes, we, we saw it. So obviously we're talking about a case where the witnesses did not see the delivery, and now she just has the get. 
Um, so if it was a piece of paper, we would assume you have it, must be he gave it to you as a get. But if the get has legs and can walk on his own, so now what do we do? Okay. Now this challenge is also not a problem that the Rava asked. Oh, wait a second, this is writing that can be erased. Well, let's assume that we're talking about where it was tattooed onto his hand so that he cannot just wash it off. Oh, now that we have this alternate answer that we used to help Rami Bar Chama, then we can go back to the question to Rava. Hey Rava, how could you say that this is a problem of, uh, that uh, writing on a, on, a, on a slave's hand is a problem because it's uh, forged? What about, the, what about the Mishnah? He can say, oh, the Mishnah is talking about a case where it was written as a tattoo and that's why it would be okay. All right, now that we understand the question, my Havi Allah, what is the answer? Do we assume that he gave her the slave and that's why she's holding on to him or because there's a Chazakah? Presumption that it belonged to him and no one saw that he gave it, gave it to her, that, we, that maybe the slave just walked over to her domain on his own. We can answer it from this statement. Of Lakish that says for livestock there's no chazaka. Um, livestock moves around, and so just because the livestock is in is near me and came to my side of the farm doesn't mean it's mine because it moves around on its own. And so here possession is not nine tenths of the law. It is nine tenths of it's a hundred percent of the law regarding other items. Right? If I have this ring, I'm wearing the ring, then you that's proof alone that it's mine. You have to prove that you know somehow I that I stole it from you if you want it back. But when it comes to thing that, things that move on their own, uh, like sheep, then they, uh, there is no proof. And so the same thing would be here. Just because she is holding the hand of the slave and saying, here's my get, is not a proof that it was ever given to her. All right. Oh, what about a similar question regarding a, a, a slate, a tablet? that we know is hers, right? This was her tablet and everybody uh, recognized it as hers. And now we have a get that's written on it um, and she produces it. So what's the law? Do we assume that she transferred this uh, tablet to the husband? Right, it did belong to her, and we saw that it belonged to her. But since um, uh, now she has it with the get written on it, we can assume that yes, she gave it to him because she knows she has to give it to him, and then he gave it to her as a get. Or do we say maybe she does not know that it needs to be transferred? She women in those days were not generally educated and so she'll assume okay I'm supposed to have the get right okay I already have the get and she's not going to know that she has to actually transfer ownership of it to the husband so that the husband can transfer the ownership back she won't realize that it has to really be transferred and she'll think she's just handing it to him he's handing it back but without intention to transfer the ownership in which case it would not be a valid get. That's the question. We're going to prove it from a Mishnah in Masechet Ediyot that Rabbi Yehuda ben Bava testified that there was a, a small village um, in near Jerusalem and there was an elder there and he would give uh, loans out to the, to the villagers. He would write it himself. Uh, he was uh, learned and so he 
would take his own paper and he would write himself and he would have witnesses sign it. And the case came before the sages and they said it's okay. In other words, in order for these transactions to be valid, uh, it's not clear exactly what transaction because if it was just a loan, then um, the document doesn't have to be transferred because the document is just there as proof. Uh, but maybe he's actually transferring uh, ownership of the land as a kind of mortgage. And uh, in order to, uh, to effectuate a transaction, the document would have to be owned by the lenders and then be given to the elder. Uh, but here the elder owns the document, he's writing it, and he keeps possession of it. So how could this be okay? This has to go buy a field. It's called Sefer Mikna, a deed of purchase, and the deed of purchase has to be transferred. Um, and so we don't see that it was transferred. Rather, the reason that the rabbis permitted in that case is because we assume that the elder knows what he's doing and he knows that even though he is taking the trouble to write it, he's going to give over the document to the lender uh, and the ownership of the document so that the lender can then give it to him which will effectuate the transaction and therefore be the same thing regarding the woman a woman happens to own a tablet and she has it written we're going back to the very opening of this uh, daf which was a similar case uh, she owns a tablet she has it written but uh, she will know that she has to transfer it to the husband so that the husband can um, legally give it to her and therefore should be okay Rava says, hold on, that's not the same. This is Aken, he's an elder, he's a knowledgeable person, he's writing everything himself, he's doing this all the time, so he knows, but we can't assume that a common person knows, uh, we can't assume that most women will know this, the details of this legal, uh, legal uh, um, requirement. Ela Madavarava says a better source. Behacha Areva Yosem Lachad Chitum Shtarot Govem in Nechasim Bene Horin. You have a guarantor who comes after the document is signed. So you have a lender and a borrower, and the document is signed, and then the borrower gives it to the lender here, right? You can use this to collect this uh, uh, this uh, loan or this, uh, uh, or as proof that, um, yeah, a loan. And then the guarantor comes afterwards and says, oh, you know what, uh, can you be a guarantor? Fine. And then he takes the document and signs it. Um, but it's not clear if the guarantor actually acquired the document and then gave it back um, and in doing so giving his guarantee. Um, it looks like he just signed something that wasn't his and there was never a transfer. And yet this document can be used. You can collect from the unsold property of the guarantor. You can't collect from the sold property because the signatures, the, there was no signatures on, on it. Um, this, they signed it before the guarantor. That's the problem with there. But um, his, his unsold property, you can, to, like an oral document, like an oral transaction, uh, you can take from his own sold properties. The point is that we assume that the um, the uh, lender uh, gave the document over to the guarantor. The guarantor added a signature, at, added his guarantee at the bottom, and then gave it back 
to the lender and that's why it's okay and so therefore in the case of women also maybe we can assume that yes she knows that she has to transfer the document to the husband and then get it back again you didn't answer the question because maybe this case is different because uh, men are usually more in business in the business world and they uh, know this idea they're trained uh, but a woman who's who did not get an education and was not involved in business this may be the first uh, financial uh, transaction that she has to do uh, so she may not know the niceties of the legal requirement that she has to give over something to him to get it back. Uh, this is similar to the problem back to Lulav of uh, if you on the first day if I gift it to a child uh, that is a problem because then the child is going to take the Lulav and he may not have the uh, proper dot to be able to give it back. He does not have the proper dot to be able to give it back so you can't gift a Lulav to a child on the first day of Sukkot and so maybe that's the same problem here Okay, we have a final answer from this statement here. This is a Mishnah that's coming up in a couple of Dapim that says that a, a woman can write her own get and a man can write his own receipt. Um, after paying the ketubah, so the man wants to have a receipt, so he doesn't have to double pay. He keeps on, he keeps that receipt as proof. Um, and even though she is writing it, but it has to go into his hands so that he can give it to her. And the same thing with the receipt. Even though he's writing it, he's going to end up with it, right? Um, he has to give it to her so that she can give it to him and say, okay, here is the receipt. Um, and that's okay because the kiyum, the ratification of the get is with its signatories. And so therefore, as since we have signatures, um, who can ratify, uh, we can ratify the signatures, the signatures were there and they signed it and they uh, made sure everything was proper, so then we can assume everything is proper. The point is that the signatures have to be done while it belongs to him and he has to give it to her. So we see from here that yes, we can assume that the wife, even though she wrote it, uh, she wrote the get on, on her property, um, still the get is valid because we do assume that a woman knows that she has to, even though she's paying for it and writing it, that she has to transfer the ownership of that document to the man um, so that it will then be signed and delivered back into her hands. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.